So we're not going to waste any time. We're not going to waste Evan's time. We're going to bring him in. He joins us via the North Olmsted Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline, of course. And he is one half of the Locked On Cast podcast. Also does a tremendous job with his write down Euclid newsletter site covering the Cavs. All great stuff over there, Evan. I apologize that we're calling you earlier than expected. That's my fault. No, you're a okay. I was just wondering. I'm like, huh, this number <laughs> keeps calling me, and it's pretty late. It's just, what's going on? And then I called back, and I'm like, oh, no, it all made sense because I heard your voice. And I'm like, oh, no, we're good to go. So it's all good, brother. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. Uh, yeah, it was just a classic mix-up on my part. I, I wrote down the wrong time for you on the sheet that I always hand out. And so it was uh, – we, we had the right time initially – I gave my my team here the wrong time, so it's all good. But it, we're, we're making it work. We're going to roll into it, and I have plenty of stuff to ask you. So uh, first and foremost, with this Cavs, well, walk me through what happened last night with J.B. Bickerstaff because I saw Tom Withers initially say that J.B. was, like, not going to meet with the media, and then he did meet with the media, but it was only, like, what, like two minutes long? So how did this all play out? And just what was your reaction to his press conference as a whole? Because I know you and I have both seen JB a little ticked off before, but he was like next level of frustrated. You could tell after that one yeah. last night. Yeah, the uh, the anger, frustration, disappointment, however you want to put it, like it was palpable. I think I'd want to say when JB came into the room, like the energy just shifted when he came in. Um. Usually, as you know, Spencer, like he's pretty punctual when it comes to addressing the media post game. Like he likes yeah. to kind of get in, get out. He wants to go go home, spend time with his kids before he has to focus on the the upcoming opponent and everything. But like he did take a while to come speak to the media, and it was a little bit awkward just because the game. I mean, it was honestly remarkable. The Cavs were up pretty decently um throughout the second quarter i know portland kind of made it close but it, it felt like the Cavs were putting the blazers away they're keeping them at least arm's length away and maybe the second half would have been that opportunity just to kind of put them away for good and then maybe you see some of the guys you don't get a lot of minutes play most of the fourth quarter but as we all know that ended up not being the case and bickerstaff came in and he was pretty short succinct he likes to talk with people about the game after the fact he likes talking about basketball in general but you could tell he was frustrated. You could tell, I think he was maybe a little stunned as well. I think we all were just how the game transpired, just how Portland kind of dominated them, especially in the fourth quarter. But he, he said, like, listen, we had a long talk. Cause, uh, I believe Chris Fedor asked him, well, what, what took you so long? And JB said that we had a pretty open and honest conversation um, about like what kind of team do we want to be and what is it going to take for us to get there? And, I think that's a good way to put it. Like it, it, this game kind of encapsulates about a quarter into the season now that the Cavs are maybe taking a step or two forward and then they take two or three steps backwards because whether it's injuries or lackadaisical effort or getting out coached in some situations. And that's the frustrating thing. I think the out coaching part when it comes to bigger staff, like yeah. I, I think you can say Chauncey Billups out coached him in the second half um, or at least just, maybe JD's message wasn't conveying and his players just weren't trying because Darius Garland said like teams like Portland, like they are a little different. Like you can underestimate them, maybe not play to your fullest extent or anything like that. But it's just jarring because you see him out coach um, Mike Malone, in the Denver Nuggets a few days prior to this, or you see him 
outfox Nick Nurse in the Philadelphia 76ers and Joel Embiid. Like, he, JB has some pretty quality wins under his belt to start the year, but there's frustrating losses like this one or the one against Miami before Thanksgiving Day or the one against the Lakers. The Cavs just kind of came out flat. And I always quote my buddy Ty Windish on this one, but, like, when things are bad, usually the first answer is, like, okay, how, how can we replace the coach? But yeah, I don't know. It's just, like, last night was – deflating I think to say the least just because they had two pretty quality wins I know the first half against the Raptors was pretty lethargic but they came out or at least Maxters came out in the third quarter and kind of lit a spark and got them going in the second half and then against Atlanta I'd say one of the more complete wins of the season you're thinking okay a lot of positive direction and momentum heading in Cleveland's way just heading into this matchup against the hapless Blazers and the Cavs got embarrassed I think that's the only way you can say it is just they got embarrassed and and then you shift focus to the locker room. The guys are just like, ah, it's what an 82 game. We'll be okay. We Donovan Mitchell said this could be a motivating yeah. factor, but I was talking to my co-host Chris Manning about this. It's weird to think, but Saturday's game against Detroit, like, is going to be one of the bigger games of the earlier half of this or portion of the season, just because if they lose, like, there's so many more questions than there are answers about this team that is already struggling to find identity, but they drop two games in a row to bad teams. Like, yeah, I think it start. It, it becomes a time to like, we should probably start questioning what's happening on the inside. And does it start with the coach or does it start with the players or where does it begin and where does it end? We'll get back to the finding identity thing. Cause I do think that's a key point of this, but in, in regards to JB specifically, do you think, and maybe this was some of the reaction last night, but do you think he's feeling the pressure at all? Like, does he know that the writing's kind of on the wall for him if he doesn't get this thing righted? And he knows that he's in an organization where the owner, you know, can lose patience pretty quickly and move on from coaches and doesn't necessarily lock guys up long-term or go into those second contracts and these different things. Like, is that all kind of weighing on him, you think? Well, he does have the luxury of him and Kobe Altman both have the luxury of getting a second contract from Dan Gilbert. True, um, true. It has been reported quite a bit like Dan has been hands-off after suffering the stroke, and his wife, at least I think Jason Lloyd said, his wife said that they've been kind of just kind of easing him back in so they don't, like, you know, overwhelm him, and he kind of gains mobility and just uh, motor functions in general. But I, I mean, Brian Windhorst has said it. I'm sure you've heard it. I've heard it as well. I think anybody who is even adjacent to this team or covers them in some capacity is like pretty well aware that it's not the writing is on the wall, but yeah, JB is coaching for job security now. He is now three, four and a half years into the job at this point, and there's not much fruit. Granted, they were rebuilding for the good portion of the beginning of his coaching tenure, but after how they lost the Knicks and how they kind of went into the postseason saying like, oh, we're a top, we're the number one defensive team in the top 10 offensive team. We're like top five and just overall across the board. But then they get exposed by New York. JB gets outfoxed by Tom Thibodeau in that entire series. And yeah, yeah, like you have to say like, yeah, if things are not going great early into the season, I think you have to evaluate is it the coaching staff because they've had a few cracks at this point and they're really kind of playing against the clock right now because you have to worry about Donovan Mitchell's future. You have to worry about maximizing the limited cap space you have before you have to pay Evan Mobley and other guys, just because Darius Garland is playing for a max or is playing on his max contract now. And it's a lot of stuff, but I think Brian Windhorst said like 20 games in the season, if he's only a game over 500, you'd have to be concerned. And, 
the game against Detroit is the 20th game of the season. So if he is a at 500 or just a hair above 500, I think, yeah, you'd have to be concerned. And it's, it's tricky. So I just, the way I look at it is when it comes to coaching and just going forward, just based on how the season started. And I know injuries are something JP can't control, but there are losses the Cavs shouldn't have suffered this year. There are games that they've just come out flat and just look like they laid down to an opponent and just have no heart in those games. And, yeah, a lot of that does go on the players and just the on-court mood and disposition. But it is a coach's responsibility to get his players prepared and also kind of keep them in tune and keep his finger on the pulse of things. And maybe a shock of changing a coach can do a lot of good for this Cavs team. But I think it's going to be on a game-by-game basis going forward because you have Detroit out next and then you have Orlando and Miami. And then if the Cavs kind of start building continuity, I think the outside noise gets a little quieter. But until the Cavs can put up instead of just shutting up every single game, like they have to just kind of prove it that like, Hey, we are kind of playing for our coach's job at this point, or there's going to be wholesale change. And I don't know what that reality looks like. That, like that's an, that's a possibility too. Like you don't yeah. know what's going to happen next because as you had noted, like it's been reported that Dan Gilbert's much more involved with the team now. Um, does Dan go with the splashy outside hire or do they keep a guy that's on JV's coaching staff and just promote him till the end of the year? And then at that point, like that could be a bit of a lost season yeah. if you're the Cavs. The timing so, will also be tough. I mean, like you had yeah. all these coaches that were on the market in the off season and you missed out on them because you kept JB around. Exactly. And so now you're, so that would be an interesting point to, to get into as well. If that does happen at some point here coming up, talking with Evan Damarell again, one half of the locked on cast podcast also does a tremendous job with the Write Down Euclid newsletter uh, covering the Cavaliers. And Evan, uh, we we both mentioned the word identity with this team, and I do think that there's just kind of a a loss of identity right now for this group. Like, they want to be this more of a, a run-and-gun offensive team because they saw what happened in the playoffs last year, but their defense is taking a hit because of it, and it almost feels like you might just want to lean on what – what worked for you last year and live with the consequences because I I understand there's always going to be some ironing out that has to happen. But right now the inconsistencies are sort of showing through and it's almost like, what can you go back to that at least gets you guys on the same track? That's a fair question just because I I really don't know because what worked last year was defense. And I think just that grind out grit and grind culture that the cast kind of established, like it's just not there anymore. The, defense isn't it's a top 10 unit in terms of just defensive rating but like there's some nights they get smoked off the floor but you have that luxury and safety blanket of Evan Mobley and Jared Allen that the Cavs were kind of exposed earlier in the season where it was just Mobley by himself and the Cavs are asking a lot of things of him to do defensively and then you don't really have any adept of uh, defenders elsewhere and you Sometimes I have to wonder, like, Lamar Stevens was the cultural leader for this team, and the Cavs traded him to go get Max Struess. Do you think that was a blow to the locker room internally because they didn't have that guy who kind of had that gritty junkyard dog, quote-unquote, mentality that the Cavs like to play with, that he was, like, the personification of it? But it's just tricky because, like, the identity just isn't there. Like, I can't tell you what this team's identity is because, yeah, you could – find some of the embers of what worked last year and maybe roll with it. But I, I think you're also looking at a dramatically different situation compared to last year where like two years ago, very happy to be in this winning situation, like kind of unexpected a year ago, like expectations certainly shifted quite a bit with Donovan Mitchell, but the 
front office and the coaching staff, everybody said like, Hey, it's not championship or bust or playoffs for bust for us. Like we want to make the next step. But now like you've dipped your toes in the postseason. You got embarrassed last year. Now, like the expectations have heightened quite a bit. Like I, I think the Cavs just have been kind of unable to get out of their own way sometimes. And I wrote about this not too long ago, where it feels like there are nights, yeah, that things are just out of Cleveland's control, but like a lot of things they can control and they just can't get out of their own way. And like they, they kind of struggle to find like consistency on a nightly basis that just like they keep working on the things that work where they just kind of, and it feels similar to that series against the Knicks where like in game two, they found a formula that worked against New York. And then JD and his staff punted on that entirely and went back to what didn't work in game one, and we know the rest of the, how the series went. And it kind of feels similar to that, where the Cavs, like, don't want to stick with what's working. They want to keep trying new and new things, and it, it just feels like they can't get out of their own way right now. Um, Last thing for you, Evan. Advanced metrics have shown over the last year plus that generally Mitchell and Garland can play well together. But I can't shake the fact that early on the season, it seems like they're kind of struggling to decipher who's doing what or who has what role on any given night. Is that still something that's tenable between those two? Or is it going to have to be at some point, like pick one or the other? I think you have that conversation at this later in the summer. Like if Mitchell makes it clear, he's not going to commit. It makes the decision a lot easier, but it's such a weird dynamic because last year, like I thought how the Cavs look right now between Donovan and Darius is what we would have saw last year when Donovan first came to Cleveland versus them kind of clicking and coexisting right away, which was a pleasant surprise and gave the Cavs a bit of a leg up to figure out other stuff on offense. But it's been tricky because I think injuries certainly play a huge part in it. I think the Cavs not really having actual point guard depth. Like I think Craig Porter Jr. Stepping up like he has, has been great, but, Outside of him and Darius Garland, you don't have anybody else who can run an offense. And Craig Porter Jr. isn't on the same level as Darius. But I've kind of noticed, like in the game against Atlanta, Donovan fed into the idea that if they, as the Cavs, apply constant rim pressure and just constantly attack the basket and draw contact to get the free throw line and to get easy look for the bucket because guys are avoiding getting into foul trouble or picking up another foul, like, that, that is a recipe for success. And then, like, that spreads out to them, the shooters, whether that's Max Truce or George Niang or even Garland or Mitchell. Like, there's a tenable way for these guys to work, but that's what I talked about before. Like, it just feels like they flip the script and want to try something different when it's pretty clear, like, just constant rim pressure is the way to work, especially when you have two kind of otherworldly bigs on either end of the floor and Allen and Mobley to worry about as well. But, like, Mitchell thrives a lot more attacking the basket than he does as a shooter. And I think Garland is very comfortable driving to the basket and kicking out to a shooter and making for or creating for others. And also just like, he's more than capable to draw that contact. But I, I think it's just a work in progress. And that goes back to the coaching thing. I wonder if the Cavs trying to do too many different things on offense is forcing them to fall back on bad habits at times. Mm-hmm. And that just throws everything awry entire, entirely, but it's tricky. I, I just, I know, like, it's just weird to think, but this this upcoming game against Detroit, like, it, it is a yeah. put-up-or-shut-up moment for the Cavs. Like, they have to, like, my co-host Chris Manning said, like, they have to come out and annihilate the Pistons. I'm just saying, let's pump the brakes. Let's hopefully they win, but look, like, very mm. dominant like they did against the Hawks. But yeah. you want them to win and maybe just shake off a pretty ugly, and at least what Mitchell called the worst loss of the season against Portland. But 
the, those two coexisting going forward will be something to keep an eye on just because it is weird because it feels like they took a step back after having a year on the court together. He's Evan Damarell. Find him at AmNotEvan. One half of the Locked on Cavs podcast also covers the Cavs and all things Cleveland for the Write Down Euclid newsletter. Evan, always appreciate the time, my man. We'll definitely catch up soon. You have a good rest of your Friday, all right? Thanks to you too, man. Thanks, Evan. Yeah, good stuff from him. Let's take a break. We'll react to that on the other side. Cavs definitely, definitely having a classic case of lost identity. We'll talk about it and react to it next. Keep it locked. It's Spencer German with you here on The Fan.